0: Section 13 of Three Years in Europe, or Places I Have Seen and People I Have Met. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White. Three Years in Europe, or Places I Have Seen and People I Have Met. By William Wells Brown. Letter thirteen. Edinburgh, The Royal Institute, Scott's Monument, John Knox's Pulpit, Temperance Meeting, Glasgow, Great Meeting in the City Hall. Edinburgh, January one, eighteen fifty one. You will see by the date of this that I am spending my New Year's Day in the Scottish capital in company with our friend William Craft. I came by invitation to attend a meeting of the Edinburgh Ladies' Emancipation Society. The meeting was held on Monday evening last, at which William Craft gave, for the first time since his arrival in this country, a history of his escape from Georgia two years ago, together with his recent flight from Boston. Craft's reception was one of deep enthusiasm, and his story was well told and made a powerful impression on the audience. I would that the slaveholders, Hughes and Knight, could have been present and heard the thundering applause with which our friend was received on the following evening. Craft attended a meeting of the Edinburgh Total Abstinence Society, BEFORE WHICH I LECTURED, AND HIS APPEARANCE HERE WAS ALSO HAILED WITH MUCH ENTHUSIASM. OUR FRIEND BIDS FAIR TO BECOME A FAVORITE WITH THE SCOTCH. MUCH REGRET WAS EXPRESSED THAT ELLEN WAS NOT PRESENT. SHE WAS DETAINED IN LIVERPOOL BY INDISPOSITION. BUT MRS. CRAFT HAS SO FAR RECOVERED THAT WE EXPECT HER HERE TOMORROW. The appearance of these two fugitives in Great Britain at this time, and under the circumstances, will aid our cause, and create a renewed hatred to the abominable institution of American slavery. I have received letters from a number of the friends of the slave, in which they express a wish to aid the crafts, and among the first of these were our good friends John B. Estlin, Esquire, of Bristol, and Harriet Martineau. But I must give you my impression of this fine city. Edinburgh is the most picturesque of all the towns which I have visited since my arrival in the fatherland. Its situation has been compared to that of Athens, but it is said that the modern Athens is superior to the ancient. I was deeply impressed with the idea that I had seen the most beautiful of cities, after beholding those fashionable resorts Paris and Versailles. I have seen nothing in the way of public grounds to compare with the gardens of Versailles or the Champs-Élysées at Paris. And as for statuary, the latter place is said to take the lead of the rest of the world. The general appearance of Edinburgh prepossesses one in its favour. The town being built upon the brows of a large terrace presents the most wonderful perspective. Its first appearance to a stranger "'and the first impression can scarcely be but favourable. "'In my first walk through the town "'I was struck with the difference in the appearance of the people from the English. "'But the difference between the Scotch and the Americans is very great. "'The cheerfulness depicted in the countenances of the people here "'and their free and easy appearance is very striking to a stranger. "'He who taught the sun to shine the flowers to bloom, the birds to sing, and blesses us with rain, never intended that his creatures should look sad. There is a wide difference between the Americans and any other people which I have seen. The Scotch are healthy and robust, unlike the long-faced sickly-looking Americans while on our journey from london to paris to attend the peace conference i could not but observe the marked difference between the english and american delegates the former looked as if their pockets had been filled with sandwiches made of good bread and roast beef while the latter appeared as if their pockets had been filled with holloway's pills and mrs kidder's cordial i breakfasted this morning in a room in which the poet burns as I was informed, had often sat. The conversation here turned upon Burns. The lady of the house pointed to a scrap of poetry which was in a frame hanging on the wall, written, as she said, by the poet, on hearing the people rejoicing in a church over the intelligence of a victory. I copied it, and will give it to you. Ye hypocrites, are these your pranks? TO MURDER MEN AND GIVE GOD THANKS? FOR SHAME. GIVE OR, PROCEED NO FURTHER. GOD WON'T ACCEPT YOUR THANKS FOR MURDER. THE FACT THAT I WAS IN THE ROOM WHERE SCOTLAND'S GREAT NATIONAL POET HAD BEEN A VISITOR CAUSED ME TO FEEL THAT I WAS ON CLASSIC, IF NOT HALLOWED, GROUND. ON RETURNING FROM OUR MORNING VISIT, WE MET A GENTLEMAN WITH A COLORED LADY ON EACH ARM. "'Kraft remarked in a very dry manner, "'if they were in Georgia, "'the slaveholders would make them walk "'in a more hurried gait than they do. "'I said to my friend "'that if he meant the pro-slavery prejudice "'would not suffer them to walk peaceably "'through the streets, "'they need go no further than the pro-slavery cities "'of New York and Philadelphia. "'When walking through the streets, "'I amused myself by watching Kraft's countenance, "'and in doing so, Imagined I saw the changes experienced by every fugitive slave in his first month's residence in this country. A sixteen-month's residence has not yet familiarized me with the change. Laurel Bank, January eighteenth, eighteen 1851 Dear Douglas, I remained in Edinburgh a day or two after the date of my last letter, which gave me an opportunity of seeing some of the lions in the way of public buildings, etc., in company with our friend William Craft. I paid a visit to the Royal Institute, and inspected the very fine collection of paintings, statues, and other productions of art. The collection in the Institute is not to be compared to the British Museum at London, or the Louvre in Paris, but is probably the best in Scotland. Paintings from the hands of many of the masters, such as Sir A. Van Dyck, Tiziano, Vercellio, and Van Dellen, were hanging on the wall, and even the names of Rubens and Titian were attached to some of the finer specimens. Many of these represent some of the nobles and distinguished families of Rome, Athens, Greece, etc. A beautiful one representing a group of the Lomellini family of Genoa. "'seemed to attract the attention of most of the visitors. "'In visiting this place, we passed close by the monument of Sir Walter Scott. "'This is the most exquisite thing of the kind that I have seen since coming to this country. "'It is said to be the finest monument in Europe. "'There sits the author of Waverley, with a book and pencil in hand, taking notes. "'A beautiful dog is seated by his side.' Whether this is meant to represent his favorite dog, Camp, at whose death the poet shed so many tears, we were not informed. But I was of opinion that it might be the faithful Percy whose monument stands in the grounds at Abbotsford. Scott was an admirer of the Canine tribe. One may form a good idea of the appearance of this distinguished writer, when living, by viewing this remarkable statue— the statue was very beautiful but not equal to the one of lord byron which was executed to be placed by the side of johnson milton and addison in poets corner westminster abbey but the parliament not allowing it a place there it now stands in one of the colleges at cambridge while viewing the statue of byron i thought he too should have been represented with a dog by his side for he like scott was remarkably fond of dogs, so much so that he intended to have his favorite, bosun, interred by his side. We paid a short visit to the monuments of Burns and Alan Ramsay, and the renowned old Edinburgh Castle. The castle is now used as a barrack for infantry. It is accessible only from the high street, and must have been impregnable before the discovery of gunpowder. In the wars with the English, it was twice taken by stratagem, once in a very daring manner by climbing up the most inaccessible part of the rock upon which it stands, and where a foe was least expected, and putting the guard to death, and another time by a party of soldiers disguising themselves as merchants and obtaining admission inside the castle gates. They succeeded in preventing the gates from being closed, until reinforced by a party of men under Sir William Douglas, who soon overpowered the occupants of the castle. We could not resist the temptation held out to see the palace of Holyrood. It was in this place that the beautiful but unfortunate Mary, Queen of Scots, resided for a number of years. On reaching the palace, we were met at the door by an elderly-looking woman with a red face, Garnished with a pair of second-hand curls, the whole covered with a cap, having the widest border that I had seen for years. She was very kind in showing us about the premises, especially as we were foreigners, no doubt expecting an extra fee for politeness. The most interesting of the many rooms in this ancient castle is the one which was occupied by the Queen, and where her Italian favourite, Rizzio, was murdered. But by far the most interesting object which we visited while in Edinburgh was the house where the celebrated reformer John Knox resided. It is a queer-looking old building, with a pulpit on the outside, and above the door are the nearly obliterated remains of the following inscription. Loof. God. Above. Al. And. Your. Nickbor. AS YOU. SELF. This was probably traced under the immediate direction of the great reformer. Such an inscription, put upon a house of worship at the present day, would be laughed at. I have given it to you, punctuation and all, just as it stands. The general architecture of Edinburgh is very imposing, whether we regard the picturesque disorder of the buildings in the old town, or the symmetrical proportions of the streets and squares in the new. But on viewing this city, which has the reputation of being the finest in Europe, I was surprised to find that it had none of those sumptuous structures, which, like St. Paul's or Westminster Abbey, York Minster, and some other of the English provincial cathedrals, astonish the beholder alike by their magnitude and their architectural splendour. But in no city which I have visited in the kingdom is the general standard of excellence better maintained than in Edinburgh. I am not sure, my dear friend, whether or not I mentioned in my last letter the attendance of William Craft and myself at a splendid soiree, of the Edinburgh Temperance Society, and are being voted in life members in the most enthusiastic manner by the whole audience. I will here give you a part of the speech of the President as reported in the Christian news. This should cause the pro-slavery whites, and especially Negro-hating sons of temperance, who refuse the colored man a place in their midst, to feel ashamed of their unchristian conduct. Here it is. Let them judge for themselves. A great feature in our meeting to-night is that we have beside us two individuals who, according to the immaculate laws of immaculate Yankeedom, have been guilty of the tremendous crime of stealing themselves. Applause. Mr. Craft, who sits beside me, has stolen his good wife, and Mrs. Craft has stolen her worthy husband and our respected friend mr brown has cast a covetous eye on his own person in the name of the temperance reformers of edinburgh in the name of universal scotland i would welcome these two victims of the white man's pride ambition selfishness and cupidity i welcome them as our equals in every respect great applause what a humiliating thought it will be surely for our American friends on the other side of the water, when they hear, and we shall endeavour to let them hear, that the very man whom they consider not worthy to sit in a third-class carriage along with a white man, and that too, in a district of country where the very aristocracy deal in cheap cheese, great applause, traffic in tallow candles, and spend their nights and days among raw hides and train oil, applause, What a humbling thought it will be for them to know that these very men in the center of educated Scotland, in the midst of educated Edinburgh, are thought fit to hold even the first rank upon our aristocratic platform. Let us, then, my friends, lift our voices this evening in one swelling chorus for the downtrodden slave. Let us publish abroad the fact to the world that the sympathies of Scotland— are with the bondsmen everywhere. Let us unite our voices to cry, Down with the iniquitous slave bill, Down with the aristocracy of the skin. Perish forever the deepest dyed, The hardest-hearted system of abomination under heaven. Perish the sum of all villainies, Perish American slavery. Great applause but I must leave the good and hospitable people of the Scottish capital for the present. I have taken an elaborate stock of notes, and may speak of Edinburgh again. I left William and Ellen Craft, the latter of whom has just come to Edinburgh, and took the Glasgow train, and after a ride of two hours through a beautiful country, with its winding hills on either side, its fertile fields, luxuriant woods and stately mansions lying around us, arrived in the muddy, dirty, smoky, foggy city of Glasgow. As I had had a standing invitation from a distinguished gentleman with whom I became acquainted in London to partake of his hospitality should I ever visit Glasgow, and again received a note while in Edinburgh renewing the invitation, I proceeded to his residence at Partick three miles from glasgow this is one of the loveliest spots which i have yet seen our mansion is on the side of laurel bank a range of the kilpatrick hills we have a view of the surrounding country on monday evening january sixth a public meeting was held in the city hall to extend a welcome to the american fugitive slaves the hall one of the largest in the kingdom Was filled at an early hour. At the appointed time, Alexander Hasty, Esquire, M. P., entered the great room, followed by the fugitives and most of the leading abolitionists, amid rapturous applause. With a member of Parliament in the chair, and almost any number of clergymen on the platform, the meeting had an influential appearance. From report, I had imbibed the opinion that the Scotch were not easily moved, but if I may judge from the enthusiasm which characterized the City Hall demonstration, I should place them but little behind the English. After an excellent speech from the Chairman, and spirited addresses from several clergymen, William Craft was introduced to the meeting and gave an account of the escape of himself and wife from slavery, and their subsequent flight from Boston any description of mine would give but a poor idea of the intense feeling that pervaded the meeting i think all who were there left the hall after hearing that noble fugitive with a greater abhorrence of american slavery than they previously entertained end of letter 13 recording by james k white chulavista